Hey, this is Andrew, and all October, Arles Mill is re-releasing some of my favorite episodes that I've recorded. The episode I'm going to share with you today is with Martina. Martina is a YouTuber, also known by the name King Kogi. And when I spoke with her, it was just amazing to me how engaging she was, how much fun she was, but also just how in tune she was with the grieving process. Martina lost her father several years ago, and she told me about him and just what her life was like with him, her relationship with him, how food tied into that, all that, and just, it was just a great conversation. I'm so really thankful that Martina took the time to talk with me when she did. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode if you haven't heard it before, uh, and if you have, I hope you enjoy it again. I'll be back with new episodes in November. Until then, enjoy. Hello and welcome to Our Last Mill. I'm your host, Andrew, and my guest this week is Martina Sasnik, host of the YouTube series King Kogi, which focuses on exploring off-the-beaten-path locations in Japan, as well as cooking and making music. Martina, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely no problem. My pleasure. It is it's so good to have you on. I've been uh, looking forward to this for, for several weeks now, just getting a chance to talk. Um, one of the time zone thing was something we had to work around. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to I'm a little bummed out. I'm looking out my window and it's dark. And then I see in the background, there's like plenty of light shining in. And yeah. it just looks very bright and open. And <sighs> It is I'm an overcast day, though, I will say. It's an overcast day outside, um, which is fine because I've been hardcore working all week long. And um, today, after our lovely podcast, I'm planning on nerding out by making my first moss garden. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so moss garden... I, I feel like this is the thing. It is exactly what it sounds like, but I need you to explain it to me. So basically I'm going for a terrarium, right? So I have this glass go. container that could be, you know, for fish or anything you want. And I've been putting just like sparkle lights and kind of like this stuff inside of it, like collectibles. And I've just been like eyeballing terrariums online for quite some time now. And I went through a book at a Japanese bookstore about terrariums and I'm like, but can I? And I finally <laughs> got like the, the, you know, like I'm going to do it finally. And I ordered from <laughs> Japanese Amazon, like a moss store. And this guy does like bonsai trees and moss stuff. And so I ordered like a starter kit with three types of moss and these two little moss trees. They're like so cute. They're like tiny little trees. And um, I've got the sand. You've got to put down like, it's just like making an ecosystem because you need to have the area yeah. that drains. And then you need to have the charcoal, which sucks out the uh, mold or the, and then you do the next level. And so you kind of like create these levels and then you plant your moss into the soil and you create like an, an image. So I'm thinking of doing like a hillside with little stones and maybe getting like a collectible um, temple from online. You can get these like little temples and I'm going to kit it together and then stick it in my garden. But of course, what I visualize in my brain will probably be like, <laughs> do, 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 do. when I finally see it, I'll be like, this sucks. <laughs> what? Well, you know, because so I'm going to challenge that. Yes, it is hard to translate from brain to tangible thing. That is mm. difficult. And I, I, I commend and I respect anybody who can look at like a block of granite and say, there's a statue in there. I'm just going to knock it out real quick. Yeah. However, as hard as that can be, even if it doesn't live up quite to the hype, just like the, the idea of having a thought, doing something about it, making a tangible representation of it, even if it's not 100% exactly what you wanted, it's still really cool. I think it's mention, that... Is it like, I may not be Wayne Gretzky, this has probably been taken by someone a million times, but what is it like you miss every single shot you don't take? 
you know, he's like, you miss a thousand percent of the shots you don't take or something like you just got to take a shot. So I always think about that for starting anything, you know, like no one ever yeah. just starts being an expert, but often online, now that we have the internet, people kind of jump in seeing somebody successful. And so they go like, wow, this person's so amazing at makeup or wrestling or biking or painting cars. Yeah. And they didn't start that way. They didn't like come out of the womb and they're like, oh, I can paint cars. Like yeah. it takes starting out and struggling and failing but if you don't try you're never going to succeed so for me like i know that there are people online making these incredible beautiful traniums and moss gardens i'm not planning on becoming a moss garden expert or am i <laughs> but you know yeah. i just want to give it a go i want to see if i can keep this moss alive and and be like hi moss how are you doing every day for like a year and just <laughs> fondle it and be like mm. That's yeah. a, you 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 never know and it's the um i think it's from adventure time what was it the 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 first step to being good at something or being kind of good at something is sucking at it so yeah so sometimes you just have to suck at something and i i think i've even mentioned this quote on the show before um kurt vonnegut one of my all-time favorite authors had a quote about you know go out and create art you know s you know sing a song do a dance write a poem because no matter how bad it is you will have still created something mm -hmm. and i think it's important you know i think just the idea of doing something it's it's because you, know, you don't want to go through life just not doing anything because like well somebody else was really good at it yeah they probably suck to start with too and not to mention you you can't compare yourself to what everyone else is doing there's got to be some level of like i just i'm gonna do a thing because i want to do it because i enjoy it and that's enough I also think that the end goal of something like to say that I want to be good at something, which is why I'm starting something, it's okay to have that maybe in mind. But being creative, the thing about being creative is that it takes you away from your thoughts. And I don't yeah. mean that in like a distracting way where you're like, oh, I can't think about life. I mean, when you're truly trying to make something, whether it be paint a miniature or or doodle or cook, anything at all that involves you kind of like being creative in any way, you're not thinking in your head about stuff. You're kind of in this flow, like this river flow. And my mom always says to me that like creative thoughts are like clouds, like they kind of come into your brain and it may not be from you. It's from like the whole entire like universe because where do you come up with creative thoughts? You know, it doesn't make sense. Like it floats in and you have to just go, oh, I'm going to do this one thing. Because if you don't, it just goes and it leaves and you know maybe it goes and visits somebody else and that person goes this is cool and they do it and then you go online and you go oh shoot i wanted to do that like you know so but it's constant flow that's the thing that i think of with creativity it's not something that's stagnant or stationary it's moving and so whenever i have some kind of like stupid random crazy idea i just write it down immediately in this book so i have this book filled with just totally ridiculous thoughts and then that was the same thing before I would have this whiteboard up and I would just write down an idea because I don't believe in crushing your ideas I believe right. in being real like so I have a creative hat that I put on and then I take off this creative hat I put on a business hat I do this kind of like mental switch so the business hat says okay Martina I love these ideas but logically we can't do this like you don't have enough people you don't have a team like this won't work or like you can't get to this country or like this won't make you any income and you're going to spend this much money to do this so business Martina is allowed to be critical but creative Martina doesn't have any any limitation you know you just you just go, you know, you just let it go. And then maybe one of those ideas will be something that will turn into something different, but you don't think of it that way. So that's my weird little creative cloud rant. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And I want you to, to thank her for, for, for saying that because it, as you were talking, that makes so much sense to me because I've had the same thing before where, you know, I've got an idea for something and it floats through my head mm -hmm. and then it's just, it's bye-bye idea you know, because, yep. because I didn't write you down or because, you know, that critical hat's still on of like, that's ah, not feasible or, you know, that's, 
there's no way logistically that could happen. And, you know, maybe what I really need to do is like say, okay, how do we take this idea? And maybe it's not this big thing. Maybe we don't start out with going to the moon. Maybe we just start out with building a bottle rocket. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's the starting point. Um, no, I, I, lo- I love the way of explaining that though. And I really love too that um, this is all related to a moss garden. Uh, this is only applicable <laughs> yes. to moss gardens. If you're thinking about any other big creative ideas, none of what we just said matters. This is nope. only applicable to moss gardens. To my first time ever moss garden that I'll be starting. <laughs> no, I think I, I love that idea though. Um, I, I've had, there've been multiple times I've like, I've thought of like the idea of a terrarium of like a, um, a contained ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so cool. I kind of want to do that, but I've never taken a step to do it. So it's something know, you could I'll, maybe do, you know, with your family. Because I remember in high school, yeah. my science teacher, um, one year only, was like this coolest teacher ever. And they got us all to build a, a closed ecosystem. So we basically spent a month preparing the material. We all had to bring in a jar of a certain size, like a pickle jar, like a big yeah. size pickle jar. And we had to sanitize it and all this stuff. And then we had all these steps we had to do. It was a very simple ecosystem with like a snail, a plant, a minnow, like these very simple things we could get. And then in the end, once we put them all together, we put them in the back of the classroom. And then we came in and we were allowed to like look at this ecosystem to see whose was pulling through. And like a lot of people's died, like it got covered in algae or the snail multiplied and the fish died or the fish died right away. Or like there was all these different experiences and mine pulled through to the very end. And I was like, heck yeah. Well, because I just love animals. And so I can't like, I can't imagine harming even a snail or like a a fish, like they deserve the best. So I was very super serious about it, but it was amazing. Like just the experience. And that wasn't a pickle jar, you know? So just think now you're going to, now you're going to have a whole terrarium. I mean, there's, there's no really, it's really the sky's the limit. Yeah. I'm, this might be the start of like a, a new addiction, but we'll see. I'm a, I'm a floater. I like to do things and then I'm like, I love it. And then I kind of move on to the next thing. Like I just kind of do this like little back and forth with all my uh, hobbies and stuff. Well, you know, but you get to try different things, you know, and you, you, you never know, you never know what you're going to like unless you try a lot of different things. Oh, it's, exactly. It's the same thing with food. Yeah. You know, think about how many foods do you love that, you know, if you never tried them or even thought to try them, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to try this on a whim. And, oh, this is my favorite thing now. Oh, my goodness. I am a three person, a three try food eater. So what that means is if I hate something the first time I go, OK, you're allowed to, but you need to try it again maybe not the same place, maybe at a different place. Right. And then I tried again and I'm like, I absolutely like this a little more, or maybe I don't, what is it about it? And then I go for the third go. And so I have in my entire life, the only thing I don't like is celery. So I don't like celery and I don't like a couple of like uh, old school Korean dishes like bondegi, which is like a stewed um, silkworm larva. And it's just bitter. It's not even about the fact that it's an insect. It's just that it literally tastes like bitter, crunchy, bitter like a not even the bitter of like oh, an olive it's just kind of like Mah. and so i d- delightfully decline to eat that uh from now on but i mean i think there's like a three port part perspective for me like I, I have to keep understanding why i don't like something is it texture is it taste is it you know preparation and i mean when you first try kimchi right people will try oh, kimchi yeah. once and go oh i don't like this but that's like trying a slice of white bread and going i don't like all bread there are so many varieties of bread and there are so many ways to make kimchi. So like you need to keep trying it in order to find out if you like it, you know? Yeah. And when you find kimchi, so kimchi, I, um, my first introduction was to kimchi was going to a friend's apartment in college and just smelling something very strong as soon as I walked in and just saying, Hey, what's that all about? (laughs) What up with this smell? Yeah. And you know, obviously I was younger and I was immature. So I'm like, I I was like, obviously I'm never going to like kimchi. 
And then a couple of years ago, we got to go, uh, my wife and I and my brother-in-law to a Korean restaurant um, in North Carolina. And we got to try some kimchi there with, you know, just, uh, I had a, I think she had, she had a bibimbap. I'm going to pronounce yeah, this wrong. Yeah, bibimbap. That's fine. Yeah. Um, my, my brother-in-law and I split, uh, some squid and some, some beef bulgogi, I think, mm-hmm. and we tried the kimchi and it was fantastic. Yeah. And then a couple months ago, we went to a Korean barbecue restaurant in Charlotte. Um, the kimchi there was just amazing. It was just, it was so good. I, I love your, I love that concept though of, you know, try it multiple times. Don't just write something off because what if you just had a bad version of it? Yeah, you know, I mean, look at look at what you were saying as well. Like, you know, I don't think that you were immature. I think that it's simply that our tongue goes through different transitions in different times of our life. Like when people are kids, you know, they tend to enjoy simple things often because it tastes like sugar and sugar is delicious to, even to adults. But something like bitterness is so intense. Like imagine being five years old again and never having tasted anything bitter in your life ever yeah. you, you've never had the bitter sensation and someone's like try this dark chocolate and you're just like like don't like it and then people make these hard like um you know wired assumptions in their brains that they go i'm never gonna like dark chocolate ever and then they're like 25 and i'm like you might like you know if you have it with the right context and they're like nope no i don't like so i think it's important to remember <laughs> that we all go through phases and our tongues go through just as many dramatic phases as we have as a teenager like think about your tongue as being emo you know, <laughs> I, I wish I had a, I wish I had a witty retort to that. I don't, um, but I think that's a perfect way to look at it. You know, your tongue is emo. Um, it's yeah. going through a phase. It's, uh, it's not going to last. Yeah. yeah. I'm um, sure we've all had our food phases that we were like into something specific for like a long time. And then maybe it changed and you know, that's, we can think back a lot of the time on this. Some people, some people can't, some people have like one thing they've kind of stuck to and they haven't yeah. really expanded, but that could be location wise. You just may not have the op- opportunity to, you know? Yeah. I think too, it's, it is possible that, uh, you know, the idea of comfort food, I think there are people that, you know, you can find comfort in a certain dish and whether or not it's something you're willing and able to kind of address head on is like, Hey, why, why am I stuck on this one food? Why do I Mm. only eat this thing? You know, maybe it, maybe it ties back to a time in your life when like, Hey, that was the one source of like, you know, stability and comfort Mm -hmm. you had was this one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I I think it's really, it's a really good way to look at it because I, I know for a fact I'm 35. I, there are things I love now that five years ago I didn't like. There are things mm. that, you know, 15 years ago I wouldn't have even dreamed of, you know, trying. And I've, I'm to the point now where I love to try new food. You know, it's, uh, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago uh, having uh, octopus. There was a time in my life I would have never considered that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was good. You know, I hate to think about how many things, you know, growing up I missed out on just because it sounded, you know, weird or different to me. And so I just didn't want to try it. Mm-hmm. Um and I, yeah, this, but, this this is a rule I try to have with my daughter that you don't have to like something. You just at least have to try it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the only thing I ask is try it. You might like it. Yeah. We've had some success. Well, I mean, some success is better than none. You know, like some people, sure. you know, have that perspective. And again, par- parenthood is difficult to so each their own. But some people don't, if their kids say they don't want to try it, they're like, I don't want to force my kid to try something they don't like. And I'm like, yeah. I get that. But sometimes being an adult is guiding people because a kid doesn't really understand the world yet. And so if we let the kid lead the conversation, then they're going to eat peanut butter um, and chicken nuggets for the rest of their entire lives, which, yeah. all right, delicious food choices. But I mean, <laughs> peanut butter also makes an incredible sauce for dipping, you know, Thai food and having like shrimp chips puffed up and you just dip that shrimp, crunchy, crunchy shrimp chip. It smells funny, right? When you first smell a shrimp chip, you're like, ugh, smells like, (laughs) you know, socks or something. And then you dip it into this peanut sauce and you're like, oh my God, 
crunchy, creamy, sweet, savory, and the textures like, you know, that kind of stuff just blows your mind. So, I mean, you don't know what peanut butter can take you, my friend, you know, like, so I think it's important for adults to at least give that option to kids if they can, you know, just try it. You don't have to like it. So I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had some success, you know, she, uh, she's gotten to where she loves feta, she loves Parmesan, she loves pesto. Yeah. I mean, you know, for, there are a lot of six-year-olds I know wouldn't eat anything green. Um, and she still has some, you know, troubles if it's green colored, and I was the same way as a kid, green colored is a, is a, that is a red flag. Um, <laughs> it's a green flag, not enough, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Green means stop. It just means stop. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've, we've had some success with that. I, if I make pesto now or um, pasta with pesto, she will just, she'll go nuts and she'll eat the whole thing. That's you know, awesome. Macaroni and cheese. She won't touch it. I've, I've wow. never known, I've never known a child that won't eat macaroni and cheese. Oh, I mean, um, I literally have, we were talking about comfort food, right? And it's like my grandmother would make the best mac and cheese. She didn't make it homemade. She made it from the box, but she made the spiral kind and she made it with like yeah. cream and butter. And I was like, this is amazing. you know, I still miss mac and cheese. Yeah. And it's, it's something too. It's something about how you're, there's something I mentioned this on the last episode too. You know, there is something in how a grandmother prepares something. It can be the most simple thing. It could be box mac and cheese. Man, there's something about it. Yep. Yeah. You, know? you know, when I was thinking about leading up to this podcast, I had been like thinking about, you know, the I the whole idea behind it, you know, like discussing your loved ones and, you know, food and the relationship to it, right? And I was thinking about the meals that kept popping up in my head that I think about from, you know, childhood or or comfort foods, if you will, that I miss the most living in Asia, like things that I just can't get. And you're totally right about the whole comfort food concept because nothing I will talk about regarding comfort food is going to be fancy. You know, I've, I've yeah. eaten, I've saved money to eat at really nice restaurants. I can appreciate it. Like the artistry of an incredible chef, like they are artists. They're not just like, you know, pulling your leg to try to make money. I'm sure some of them are, but when you do your yeah. research, you find the ones that are just like art heads, you know, they're like, how can I make this ball frozen when it melts in your mouth and it tastes like chicken, but the inside is purple and it, you know, <laughs> breaks out into smoke. And you're like, what? Like they're, they're their own little artists, you know? But that's not the stuff that I think about. You know, I think about my mom opening up a tin of baked maple beans, pouring it in a bowl and adding hot dogs and me being like, this is the best meal ever. You know, and and my mom used to make me like sauteed liver with onions. She, they both, my, both my parents had a very humble upbringing. And so yeah. a lot of my mom's meals that she made me were very, I think, like, you know, um, budget budget wise kind of foods and so like yeah chopped liver and onions on a piece of bread or you know that that kind of stuff that i i can do some of it here but i can't really do all of it here you know and and my dad's like simple meals that he would make for me were just like crazy simple i mean it's sometimes explaining it i feel kind of almost like oh can i explain this as <laughs> something i like but you know my my dad's like go to when the two of us were home alone right he would get a can of kidney beans um, yeah. I don't know my family and kidney beans. They're all about the kidney beans. And he'd crack <laughs> open this can. He'd pour this giant can of kidney beans in the oil and everything inside of a bowl. And then he would roughly chop an onion, like practically over the bowl sometimes with like a knife. Like it was really roughly <laughs> chopped. And he'd add like a tiny bit of vinegar, just like white ass vinegar, not like, you know, apple cider, balsamic. No, it was just like, whoosh. he'd mix that up with a little bit of pepper. And that would be the salad that we were going to eat. And then um, he would get these packages of corned beef. And it was like, um, I think it was pastrami. And I remember going to the store with him and not understanding it. it. I don't know if it exists anymore. It's like a four pack of individually packaged meats. And they come in this bag and you cut the bag, you don't open it and you boil it in hot water. So it's a way to heat up the the meat without it 
becoming like losing its flavors. So you you put it in a bag of hot water and you let it sit there to warm up. And so as it's sitting in this bag of hot water, he would take out a piece of rye bread because my dad loved rye bread. We'd go to like um, European bakeries and buy like double loaves. and He'd freeze like two of them and two of them would always be out. And we would toast it if it was old and we would eat it fresh if it wasn't. He'd put on plain old mustard, nothing special, slather it in until it absorbed it. And then he would open up this hot bag. He'd cut it with scissors and dump out this like steaming hot pastrami you know, and we would yeah. eat it while it was still hot on the bread and just kind of like dip the ends into this bean salad, you know, and just have the worst breath afterwards because of the onions. It's like <laughs> raw onions, you know, and the, and that's a meal that like I cannot reproduce that here at all. Like I can't get the meat. I can't get the bread. I can't get a can of beans like that. Like I can in the import section maybe, but the one that he used, no, the onions taste different in Japan. Like what a silly thing for me to, you know, crave and want, but I do, I really do miss that meal, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I know you mentioned that, um, I know you mentioned that it's, it's hard sometimes to explain to somebody how, how that can be so special to you. But again, I just, I feel like comfort food, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be something fancy. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you, you said it yourself, there are chefs that they are artists and they, it is a craft to them. And I, you know, we were talking before we started recording just this love of people who can just nerd out on something Mm -hmm. and who just really, they've made something, not just, you know, their life, you know, their work, but their obsession is just something that they just mean so much to them. I love that. But just somebody you care about just feeding you something that they like. And I will say this as a dad. Now dads have, we have weird taste buds. We, <laughs> I, I'll admit this. We got, we have stuff that's just everybody else in the family is going to look at you like you're crazy, but it, it's good. And I, I think, you know, to me, something like that, it's, it's more than just like, I've got to, I've got to feed my kids. Like I like this. I mean, hopefully they'll like it too. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done something or, you know, try to get my daughter to try something that is purely just a, I ho- I like it so hopefully she will too and it can be just mm-hmm. that one little bonding thing and it's 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 it is this thing that it's it's a connection to somebody you know yeah. um I mentioned it you know here here before but there are just certain foods that my grandmother made growing up that just mean a lot to me or my my mother my wife and I were talking last night I would I need to learn how to make chicken and dumplings for my mom oh yeah because it when I'm eighty. And I'm thinking about, you know, what's the, what's the meal that I want? That would be it. That would be my mom's chicken and dumplings mm-hmm. um, or just the, the cornbread that my grandmother made growing up. Mm-hmm. There's this, I, I, I've tried to make it before and yeah, I, I had access to the ingredients. Still not the same. There's yeah, just this, something about how she did it. It's the same thing. My, my grandmother. Um, so in my family, my, so my grandmother's Croatian was great. Well, is Croatian still obviously, but um, yeah. they say baka, which is very difficult living in Japan because baka means like stupid or idiot, but baka means Croatian oh, for grandmother. <laughs> so growing oh, up no. with my Japanese neighbors, I'd always be like baka, like, you know, can you pass me this thing? And Mickey was always like secretly wondering if I kept calling my grandmother stupid and my, my neighbor Mickey. And so I had to say to her, no, 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 it means like grandma. And she's like, oh my gosh, I thought you were calling your grandmother stupid. Like the whole time I'd be like, baka, we're back here. Like we're back here stupid you know (laughs) no it means grandmother so um baka was the like most incredible chef and she had such a difficult you know my dad and her grew up in croatia with their whole like her dad cousins brothers and sisters everything and then war struck 
and they had to flee the country. And so my dad was separated from his family and he arrived in Canada totally alone um, as like a middle school kid. He didn't know why he was here. Like, I mean, it was just like he was put on a plane and sent off for safety. And he arrived and literally didn't speak any English. Um didn't know the woman he was supposed to be staying with, nothing. And my grandmother, meanwhile, and her husband were trying to like get out of the country. She didn't know at the time that her husband was killed. So I never met my grandfather. And my dad lost his dad at a very young age. And uh, and she kept going through a lot of different um, like refugee camps. And so along the way, she learned many different recipes from different people. So yeah. when when I ate her food, I never understood why when I looked these recipes up online under Croatian recipes, I tried to find them. They weren't. They were German or Austrian or like, you know, sometimes Jewish backgrounds. Like I didn't understand it. And it's because she had learned from all these different women. And I remember her telling me, you know, oh, this person taught me this or that person taught me that. And, and oh, I got these, you know, gloves that I've kept from Austria. And I never really understood it when I was younger, but as I got older, I understood it. And she eventually ended up in Australia and then saved enough money to fly to Canada to meet my dad. And by then they were quite far apart in age. Like, so he had spent a lot of time alone in, in Canada in somebody's like attic, basically. Oh my God, was he Harry Potter? But he basically <laughs> spent his time in like an attic and, um, you know, she would send money across and they took care of him. And so it was, it was quite a, it was quite a shocker, you know, and like for, for where they were to how suddenly they were like, you know, from living in Croatia happily to suddenly just you're in Canada. And, yeah. um, my grandmother was so good at like, you know, or penny pinching in a way, you know, like you'd never think that she was poor. You'd never think that she was on welfare or anything. She lived in government housing. You'd never know that. Like she kept up this appearance, um, you know, about feeding people and, and food and all that kind of stuff, but because she budgeted like crazy, you know, and yeah. um, the meals that she would have every Sunday was our Sunday meal. We had to come to visit her, which of course didn't have to, of course we're going to come, you know, yeah. and she, we would eat these incredible meals that she would make, you know, and I used to think nothing of her being anywhere poor. I didn't think in my mind that like, you know, is my family poor? Like I just didn't think that, you know, yeah. because the meals were incredible and, and the dumplings, this is exactly what I was going to say. There's this Croatian or maybe not, we called them water noodles. And when I got older, I asked her to show me how to make them before she passed away. And even though she showed me, I've never been able to recreate them. And it's like this beaten dough that she made in like a measuring cup with like a spoon. And she spoons them out. Like you put spoon, spoon, and you drop them into the water and they boil. And then you toss them in butter and salt. And they're on the outside, they're squishy. On the inside, they're dense. They are all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're flat. Sometimes they're round. Like they're never perfect in shape. You know, they look like clouds basically. Yeah. And she would serve them with um, beans and barley, which was my all-time favorite. Again, kidney beans. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and it was sauteed with so much garlic. And then she'd make this kind of like roux, like this buttery kind of flour roux. And so it was just flour, beans, and garlic. And you'd like pour those over these noodles. And it was freaking heaven. Every birthday, I was like, beans and barley and water noodles, <laughs> you know. But I can't recreate it. I've tried multiple recipes. I've come close. It just doesn't yeah. taste like hers, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you this, though. When, you, when you're trying to recreate it, though, so I, I know that the final product hasn't been the same, mm -hmm. but in the process of it, in the process of making this, have, have, you, felt like, have you felt like there's, it's provided you a connection to her? You know, are there other are there memories? Is it comforting to you not just to eat it, but to try to make it just like, you know, like, I'm making this because of her. Yes, the food is great. You love the food, but mm -hmm. you know, I think a part of it's got to be the person too that made it for you. 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Like that's exactly it. Like I never go, I'm going to make water noodles and then go and not think about anything. Like I immediately often want to make them if I'm feeling down or, you know, if I'm feeling sick or if I feel if like it's cold, you know, or if it's my birthday and I'm like, oh, I want something that reminds me of something, you know, it always comes with a deep memory connection. And as I've gotten older, it's only made me develop a bigger appreciation for my family you know, I, I have a very good relationship with them. So I've never been, you know, someone who's had difficulties with my family, but it, it just goes up higher and higher every time. Like, you know, this woman, like, and now that we're adults and we have to like make money and pay bills, you think to yourself, how did she handle that? How did she go through this trauma of like not knowing she found out her husband was dead decades later. Like she never remarried, even though many people tried to like propose to her, she just refused. And then one day we finally found out in a history book, he was like listed as one of the people who was killed in this, like, you know, they, they like shot him down with, um, freaking guns inside of like a train. Like they were in, they were hiding in a shipping container to get out of the country. And they just opened up the doors and just gunned everyone down. Like, and then she knew, but like, it was so like, wow, like I go through hardships in my life and it's like, you know, I'm crying or I'm, and it's okay to cry. I'm not saying anything against that, but like you, you wouldn't, I look tired, but she just, wow, like what a woman. She just head up high, pushed through despite everything she had to go through, you know. So to me, every time I eat and think about her food, it gets deeper as I get older, you know. And it's the same thing, you know, with my dad. Like, you know, I remember him telling me for one Christmas, like we had mentioned before before we started recording how much we hate wasting food, right? Yeah. And that's big in my family because my dad said one Christmas they got a crate of oranges, like just like tangerines, right? And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. And he told me this story while we were eating tangerines at Christmas. You know, like it's kind of like this Christmas feeling to eat tangerines. I don't know why. And he goes, yeah, it was amazing. And I was like, oh, that's it. And he's like, yeah, it was all we got. Like that crate of oranges was amazing. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, thinking about my Christmas tree and, you know, my parents get me like an electric guitar or something, you know, and I'm just like, wow. Like it really helps you understand the, the depth of what somebody else can go through and, and what they've done to, to give you the position in your life, you know? Yeah. It's crazy how much perspective you get as you get older. Um, you know, you, you can hear the same story at 14 and at, you know, 24 and at 34, completely different. All takeaways. hits different. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember, you know, my dad growing up telling me that, you know, for them growing up when they were younger, a, a, a good Christmas was, we got a stocking that had some, you know, some nuts in it, some fruit, mm-hmm. one or two pieces of candy, a shirt, and and one cheap toy. Yeah. And hey, that was a that was a haul. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, and, and growing up, I, I remember he would always go all out on Christmas to the best of his ability for me and my brother and sister. And you know, I I knew growing up, like, okay, it's because he didn't have much growing up, and I know it was his his mom doing the best she could, mm-hmm. and he just, he always went all out. And now I, I think about Christmas for, for our daughter. And I'm like, man, I, I, I get it so much now. Like just, mm-hmm. just that, that sense of like, okay, you, you, you're wanting to, I don't know if right the wrongs is the right way to look at it, but this constant idea of, okay, try to do a little better for the next generation, mm-hmm. you know? But I also think that it's an important reflection to understand that it didn't affect us in necessarily negative ways. Like, so, you know, my family wasn't an all out like Christmas family. Like, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I got toys and my sister got toys and, you know, we had like a very, you know, normal kind of, you know, wonderful Christmas, you know, but, um, when you think about it, there might be a toy you remember, 
you know, or, or you remember your family's deviled eggs, you know, yeah. like my mom makes deviled eggs every year. And this year or last year for Christmas, I was in Japan alone. Right. And I had some friends over and I made deviled eggs for the first time for, for them. And a lot of them had never had it. They were like, they'd never had a deviled egg. And, and I wasn't like, this is my recipe. I was like, <laughs> this is my family's recipe. Like it was my mom made it. And like, so it was exciting and thrilling. And, and so I think as a parent, sometimes like we feel like, you know, I, I say we, as if I've got kids, my children's children, <laughs> my friend's kids, I'm always like the person on the side who's like, don't worry, you're doing your best. But, um, they, they often, I hear them saying, you know, oh, I didn't do enough for this person's birthday party, or oh, I wish I did this because my parents didn't do this, or my parents did do this, but we're not going to remember those when we get older. Like we will remember, but we're not going to go like, Hey, when I was five, you did not throw me an epic party. You know, when I was 11, that was the worst Christmas because I only got five toys, but I wanted eight. Like, <laughs> I, I think as parents, we, you know, you put that pressure of what you think your kid's going to remember, but they're probably going to remember something stupid like mac and cheese. You know, like they're going to remember you making them oatmeal or hot chocolate with whipped cream on like the, the Christmas morning. Like, so again, it comes down to providing them with these memories of bonding with you, eating with you, providing something with them. That's going to be more important than something that they outgrow you know yeah i'm gonna say that it, it thank you for saying that because honestly it's it's honestly reassuring to hear that sometimes um cause it, it is easy as it is as easy as a parent to put a lot of pressure on yourself mm-hmm. um just like hey i gotta not screw up when the truth is you're when you're when you're you're gonna screw up a lot um it's just try not to try not to screw up too much and just try to be ready to pay for therapy if you need to if that that's that's, that's, the I fact think that you're all. worrying about screwing up means that you're a good parent because parents that don't worry about screwing up are the ones that are screwing up. They're the ones that aren't thinking about their kids, but the parents that are always thinking about worrying about their kids and if they're doing it right are the ones that are, are fine. And the, the kids will have their own, you know, we'll, we'll all have our own issues, not because you did something wrong necessarily, but because they're their own little beings and they see yeah. what you're doing. So you go, I want to let them know that I'm always there for them. And then they might go, oh, my mom and dad were like so overbearing. They were always asking me questions and, uh, you know, I didn't know how to respond. And you're like, damn it, I was doing that. So you felt like there was emotional, you know, and other kids might go, oh, I love that my parents did that. Right. Like, so you never know how your own little tiny being will interpret things. And that's part of life. Like it's part of them developing some kind of a problem that then they know how to solve. Because I think the worst kind of, you know, situation is just running neutral in life. And so you don't feel happiness or sadness or you're just kind of like there you're just yeah. kind of you know because and you're right i mean because even even anger is a feeling you know even mm-hmm. hate is a feeling it's not a good one but i mean it's like okay you feel something yeah if you can if you can still feel something you know maybe you can you can turn around to feeling something more positive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the, the hate thing and the anger thing and the sadness thing to me i had major like mind-blowing experiences in the past couple of years, like going through a lot of, you know, counseling and therapy and thinking about my life and myself. And even my dad passing really um, like sent me into like a life perspective spiral. And one of the things that I realized was if you can feel really sad, if you can feel super miserable, then you also have the opposite version. You have the capacity to be super happy. So as much as it sounds insane to think that, you know, I'm not wishing grief or sadness upon anybody, but the amount of pain our family went through watching my dad when he got sick and 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 pass away and everything, yeah. it created such a giant deep well in me of like, oh my God, I can feel all this pain. It's so much pain. And then the opposite slowly emerged where I can go outside and be like, look at that, you know, tiny 
sprout coming up underneath that crack of that tree. And I'm like, oh, isn't life great? Like it, it's yeah. the it's like the opposite version, right? And it's the same thing if you like ruminate too much, right? I realized like this is something one of my counselors said years ago that I was like, whoa. If you're spending all this time thinking about something, you know, like when you have a conversation in your brain, like an argument with somebody and you're in the shower and you're just basically arguing to the shampoo bottles and like, you know, there's no one there, but you're having this full conversation. <laughs> if you can spend that energy, you have the the exact same amount of energy to do something else. So she said, you need to take that energy of you thinking, ruminating and thinking and put it towards something else, put it towards your community, put it towards, you know, cooking, put it towards cleaning, but don't let that energy be there and, and make you worse off because you do, you leave, you leave feeling angry and frustrated and, and uh, but, but look at all that energy you have. So that's the hardest part is me going, Oh, I don't want to think about this. This is stupid. It was just one internet comment. Like I'm a real person. I live in the ground. Like I live in the ground. Like I'm, I'm here in the world. Like I don't live in the internet world. Like, you know, they don't know you. They don't know life. Stop thinking about this. Take that energy. Let's make pancakes or like, you know, let's vacuum. And then I just like, go like a super scion or something. And you just, and you shift that energy. And then that's it. You slam that door shut to that rumination and go, you're not real. Like you're ruminating. And so that's the kind of stuff I learned from things like super grief and all that kind of stuff. You've got the opposite in you, you know, both yeah. versions. I, I think that's really, that is really powerful. And, and, and so I'll say this, so I think you're hundred percent correct. I mean, if you, if you, to feel that, that sense of like just a pit, a pit of despair, a pit of anger, hurt, you can't feel that unless there's something positive to start with. Exactly. You know, you can't for, feel that loss for somebody if they if they weren't awesome. If right. they weren't an awesome human being, you couldn't feel that. You'd be like, eh, you know. I mean, you're, it's a hundred percent right. I mean, you you don't. Well, I think we said before we started recording, you don't grieve an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I I know that that sounds callous, you know, but I I've, I've heard of people that passed away, and it's one of those I'll never celebrate it, but it's like, well. I hope their family's okay. I hope yeah, they lived are okay. and they died. Yeah. And, and that's I, what they've left in the world. Yeah. And I, I wish no ill will on these people. I, I'm not going to take pleasure in their, their passing, mm -hmm. but it, it's almost reassuring sometimes or reaffirming that I don't want people to think about me that way when I'm gone, you know, mm -hmm. and that that's, that's a really difficult conversation to have with yourself too. And it's really easy to get existential and be like, ah, too much, too much, too much, too quick. But to stop and say, okay, how do how do I want people to look at me when I'm going? What do I what if if people are at the wake and they're just sharing stories about me, but what would I want them to say? Yeah. Because you know? when you leave the world, you know, you 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 you're gone, you leave the world. And so the question is, do you want to leave something behind? Is it gonna be you don't have to. You can choose to live and die and that's it. That's fine if people don't want to like, you know, do any that's totally yeah. fine. It's not a judgment thing. But if you're a mean person, if you're if you give off bad vibes, if you, you know, gossip and and say things at the office and everyone's like, Oh, that person's a shit disturber, you know, and yeah. you know, and something happens like to you and you pass away, what are you leaving behind? you know, and it doesn't mean go out there and be a fake, a nice person, you know, like I do charity stuff and I want everyone to know. And I post it up online. So people like me more, yeah. like not that kind of fake stuff, but how do you engage with your friends and family? How do you engage with people on the internet? You know, how do you engage with the person at the grocery store that you see every day? You know? So well, I, I think that knowing that people are people like really understanding that other human beings are alive, like they have an essence, a soul, a life is a really important way for you to ground yourself and interact with the world, you know? Yeah. And I, I think the way you, what you said too about, um, you know, the people that do acts of good, you know, but like they've got to have the phone there and it's got to, you know, they got to get it on social media. Mm -hmm. 
I I am always so torn on that because I I am happy that there is positivity being put in the world. I'm happy that you are that they're doing something good, but at the same time, I don't feel like acts of good should be done for clout. I don't. I I hate mm-hmm. this concept of I'm gonna go do something kind for this uh, for this person who's down on the luck. You know, make sure to smash that like button. Make sure to follow me. I, yeah. I don't like that. I've you been know? quite torn about those people that. I only saw it recently where they're kind of like, you know, I surprise this person by buying all their fruit and like, you know, the, have you seen those ones? Or like, you yeah. know, I helped out this poor person on the street by giving them all this money. And it's like, and you recorded the whole thing and put it up online and, and put ads on it when this person is going through a hard time. Like, I mean, you commodified them. yeah, I mean, maybe just give them the money and don't tell anyone about it, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, find a way to tell people how you help people out. But it feels a bit, un, I think, dis, disingenuine, disingenuine. Is that a word? We're going to call it one. Did I make that up? Genuine. A... Disingenuine. Yeah. A genuine is a rapper. Yeah. Disingenuine yeah. would be his, uh, that's who we'd have beef with. Yeah. Well, maybe they disgenuine. So they're like, dis, disgenuine. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten too, it's gotten too meta. But yeah. yeah. I, I can never be too serious for too long. Yeah. Well, the two of us are like, we immediately crack and we go back into talking about pro wrestling. What? No, we weren't talking about wrestling earlier. We don't. No, I've, I've, I've really, yeah, I was. I, I will say, and I said it before. Um, I, I said before that you have access to some of the best pro wrestling in the world. I'll, I'll say it right here. Um, and this can be on the record. I'm fine with it. I am jealous of that fact. Um, you know, I, you know, you, you, you know, the only thing between stopping you from going to a New Japan uh, pro wrestling show is, uh, just getting the tickets that's really is it. navigating so. the japanese websites and see if they accept any of my credit cards but um my go. friends that did go said that they just drank beer and had such a good time and cheered along and like i will go i promise i will go i promise that i will go and i do really want to make even like a video to share it as well um oh, yeah i know but you you have to send me a list so so afterwards like send me an email with a list of some of the names of these things that i should know because i could look up pro wrestling japan and just find a bunch of stuff but maybe there's something that i don't know about that's like specific, like, oh, this is the best, you know, house or this is the team that has the most exciting, you know, so. Yeah. Well, I think the two big, it's either going to, you're either going to have to go for your Bullet Club or Chaos, but we'll, we'll, we'll I'll figure is that it out. Is it Chaos with a K? No, no, it's not. Oh God, they're, this is where I have to not, I have to not go down the nerd rabbit hole of the, the wrestler in the nineties who did spell his last name with a K, whose last name was Chaos. Uh, it is with a C. Um, yeah, I, I, that is one of the cool things, though, about being in Japan is that you have access to some of these great things. And I, honestly, that, that's one of the things I wanted to I wanted to jump into this as a question, too. So, mm. you know, you, you've moved across the, the world now, right? Because, you you know, from Canada, you're in Japan now mm-hmm. and you've completely immersed yourself in, in the culture. And mm-hmm. this is one of the things I've seen in your, your Tokyo tours videos, which I love, by the way. Oh, I, yay. I, yay, I, I just think I, I think they're really cool. And I don't know. I don't know how often you can get direct feedback from somebody about them. I just, I think they're really cool. You know, for you though, what's been the best part of doing that, of of immersing yourself in this culture? You know, what's been the best part? What's been the scariest part? Yeah, I think, um, so, I mean, first I started in Korea and then I came to Japan. Right. And so I think that like going back to the concept of like comfort food and stuff after leaving, uh, Canada and going to Korea and not having anything available like foreign food wise at the time. Like now you can definitely get a lot of foreign food in both Japan and Korea. But when I went there in 2008, it was a time period where like there wasn't even cheese for sale or fitted bed sheets or basic, you know, spices that you might know for your cooking. But now it's like yeah. all that stuff is there. Right. 
I really started to understand that, okay, if I'm going to survive in Korea and Japan happily, I have to really embrace and accept the food culture because it's the same thing with growing up in my family, right? You have certain types of foods, not complicated chef foods, but like, you know, there's a lot of dried salami in European culture. I had a lot of dried salami. I ate a lot of, you know, certain types of animal that would be used in European cooking. Like, you know, my my mom would make me a lot of stuff that was very Canadian, like salty corned beef with potatoes and stuff that was kind of very salt of the earth food. So I thought I need to dive into the same thing to really understand the culture because food really connects you with the culture itself. You you might eat bibimbap like overseas and go, this is a really good dish. But what does bibimbap mean to somebody who lives in Korea? Is it It's basically the leftover food you have in your fridge. It, you kind of put it together in your rice bowl and you eat it. It's not like, you know, it has to be this particular way, right? So, yeah. well, what kind of leftover food do I have in my fridge? Well, oh, it's banchan, it's side dishes. Well, I don't have any of that because my fridge is filled with like, you know, attempted foreign food. So I started to realize like, well, I need to really understand this culture and this perspective. I need to start kind of really diving in. And so in Korea, I started to get my friend uh, Sokbok. So she was my coworker in uh, in school and her mom is from Jeju-do, from the island the, uh, in Korea. And I said, you know, would your mom be willing to teach me some of her recipes? And Sokbok's like, for sure. So I came over to the house. And so Sokbok and her mom would teach me how to make Korean food from scratch. So I learned how to make all the basic dishes and the basic broths and everything. And her mom would tell stories about Sokbok growing up as a kid and like, oh, she hated this or she liked that. And and Sokbok would be, you know, commenting on it. So, you know, in a way I felt like, okay, I'm getting this now. I'm getting that this is considered a comfort food in Korea. Like why? Oh, because they didn't often have a lot of money to afford things like meat. So, you know, like having this kind of cut of meat is very comforting to Korean people, you know? Okay. So if I go to a restaurant that sells gamjitang, you know, I can explain to at least to my audience online that this is a very comforting food, right? So you, you, sure. I have my opinion, which is I find it comforting, but there's also another level of it. Is it comforting to Korean people, right? So things like barbecue, like beef barbecue, is considered to be very expensive because you couldn't afford beef before. But now we might think of beef barbecue as just like normal. Everyone's doing it, but they're not. They're doing a lot of pork barbecue, but beef barbecue is expensive, you know, because yeah. they, they, Korea was a very poor nation. And so the same thing happened when I came to Japan. You know, when I came to Japan, I was like, I need to understand all these different kinds of foods, like in order for me to really understand where this culture came from. And that's how I started to like dive into it, you know, like making Japanese friends and, you know, asking them questions about their favorite food or going to like just a random local izakaya as opposed to something that might have an English menu. And and just like before I could read, you know, hiragana and kanji and and all that stuff, I would be like, I'm just like point at something, you know, (laughs) and and looking around at what people were eating and just saying to the server something like, you know, like in crappy Japanese, like, like, like what is that and they'd be like oh potato salad and i'm like okay but he told like so it's it, a lot of observing and and just trying and asking questions and and then you start to kind of understand why something's comforting why it's not why it's expensive and and i find that really intriguing it's like our our nerdiness we were saying how we kind of lock on to something you know, yeah. and we get into it. So for me, it's like f- the understanding of why food is more than just food. And so Tokyo Tours comes around to that whole thing. You know, I spent a lot of years reviewing all these different kinds of restaurants and some of the higher end ones. Of course, I loved eating there, but I felt like it wasn't a real representation of Japan. And I, yeah. I really, really wanted to show people the kind of backstreet, you know, 
situations and the, the reality of just kind of wandering. And so when I came back to Japan, I was really determined to do this. And I wrote out an idea and a script and, and concepts. And then like I pitched this little meeting to my coworker, my former coworker, Dan. And so now we work together. I said, hey, would you want to do this Tokyo tourist thing with me? Kind of like, you know, we filmed together for a long time. You know what I'm like, you know how I am. And he's like, okay, cool. Let's try it. And so we did our first one. And that was the Shibuya Daikanyama Ebisu kind of walk where I was obsessed with the square, the square air conditioners. I'm like, they're so square. They were so square. But yeah, that was a bit of a long ramble there. But so that's how that was born. And so, you know, every single month I, I plan out a new area. I have so many that I want to take you guys all to. But the problem is, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling in advance or asking these shops. So it's very tentative about will I be able to film in this place that I've been to many times, but will they be comfortable or, or how can I get away with it? And, you know, I always ask them like, Oh, see, must like Daijobu Eska. And they're all, they'll be like, Oh, Daijobu, you know, like, even if it says no filming, I think it's more about filming the customers, the, the privacy. Um, but I always kind of have to go, all right, Dan, here's our schedule. Like, here's the map route. Here's where we're going to go. And we kind of go over it like an army plan, you know, it's like, all right, at 1300 hour, we will arrive here because the shop closes by 1400 hour. And like, you know, but you still want to explore. And, you know, so you kind of have the idea and then you go, okay, now let's keep this idea and kind of push it out of our minds and just be, you know, there. So, yeah. yeah. You, you've got to be willing to pivot a little bit as you get there. I mean, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. So, so what, you know, my wife and I were talking about this earlier. We watched, uh, we watched one with our daughter while we ate dinner. We, um, I, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to pronounce the street because I'm going to butcher it, but it's, it's the, it's the most recent one. You, at the very end of it, you go into a beer shop, you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the beer that they serve, the, the, the records they have, the amount of effort that the, the owner puts into just curating a playlist of music mm-hmm. and like making sure that, Hey, we have some, we have some good food here. We have some great beer. I just, I just think it was really cool. And it just, to me, it is very encouraging because we, we both felt like you're, it's not pushing travel or food in the way that it's normally done of, oh, you have to go to here where all these other people are. It's really just get out there and just see a place, just yeah. experience it. Um, yeah. And it, I, I, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, it's, it just feels like a much more authentic way to experience an, a new place. I mean, the word authentic, it's like, I, I don't know how to explain to people that this is literally what I do on the daily. It's not a yeah. uh, an act that I'm putting on for camera. You know, small world, we, you know, small world I, I've known about for a long time. It was my first time to go there this time, but my friends had gone there before and, and I always wanted to go. It was on my bucket list and tr- I tried to go, but during COVID things were shut down regarding bars. And yeah. so the bar scenes were really suffering. Right. And when he finally opened up again, you know, I just went in with so much excitement and enthusiasm and he lived in England apparently for a bit. I had no idea. And so he had a little bit of English on him. Like, and it, you had to be quite patient because it was just like my Japanese level. He spoke very slowly and the people around were super excited to chat. And that's real Japan. Like, you know, I think there's this, this idea of, um, you know, um, solemnness and like, you know, respect and like, you know, you know, oh, you can't do this or do that. Or I mean, yeah, don't do bad things at temples or shrines. It's the same thing. Like don't go to a church and be like, Hey, there's a picture of Jesus and like take some photos (laughs) inappropriately, like be mindful of things that are deserve some respect. But when it comes to restaurants and food places in, in Japan, it's like people go there to unwind. They work so hard. Like you go to an izakaya, it could be the oldest izakaya on the planet like i have a fishakaya that i go i call it a fishakaya but that's not a real world it's an izakaya <laughs> it serves everything but it also serves fish right it's so off the beaten path that i wouldn't even recommend it because i would worry that i would send people into like this nowhere land right 
you go in there, the menu is handwritten. I can barely read it because the handwriting is just like if someone was to write handwriting in North American handwriting and you're just like, yeah. what? You know, <laughs> I order a bunch of stuff. The food is freaking phenomenal, like perfectly cut sashimi. The sashimi is perfect. I'm like, what? Like, it's like they're a master. Well, because he's been doing this for 60 years and his father did it before him and him and the locals are getting drunk and eventually someone catches my eye and they ask me if I'm from Russia and I say, no, I'm from Canada. And then they go, oh, Canada. And then they go what they always say, which is Vancouver. And I'm like, well, Toronto. And, you know, we <laughs> we have a chit chat and like they're friendly and they want to know. And like, you know, oh, you like that? You like sake i say oh you know nihonshu daisuke like i love nihonshu they're like eh. it, yeah. it's it's the real experience you know of course you know go to harajuku and look at the street if you want to see it like you know try the cotton candy eat a crepe but i will never recommend it because when i had the crepe i vomited because it was literally i actually Fair. threw up the whipped cream is made out of oil it's it's like having a cool whip crepe it, oh. it, and so everyone gets that photo you know, like, I want a picture of a cute crepe. Okay, but it's supposed to be food. It's supposed to be edible. You're supposed to eat it. Like, there are people in Japan that make crepes. They're great, but they're not super kawaii. And so people are getting cotton candy, you know, shaped like something. And I'm like, that's great. But, like, cotton candy has nothing to do with Japan. Like, right. so so to me, it's, like, kind of like... I get it. I get it totally as someone who's on the internet that you want to take a cute photo and you want to put it up online. But why did you come all the way to Japan? All the way to Japan, you know, like. I can't uh, fathom flying across the world to get a picture of some cool looking cotton candy. Yeah. I can, I can see going there to get like a, like food that tastes really good. And I, I'm, I'm the worst at getting a go having a good meal I'm like oh my god i should take a picture of this but i don't have that thought until after okay the plate's clean it's like well <laughs> i liked it it was good so that, i'm gonna remember that i hope i mean but, guilty as charged i take tons of photos of my food but i try oh, not no to make judgment. my friends wait <laughs> I, i'm gonna say this there's no judgment on it because I, I love seeing food photos like to me food photos and baby photos and, and dog and cat photos I'm totally down for that because uh, it's all this it's all things like i can appreciate all of them now that i've, I've eaten how food, do you I have a feel child. about moss gardens I'm becoming more of a fan. <laughs> so you said something else or two about how the, the people there, like they see you eating and enjoying the food mm -hmm. and like they just, they get excited about it. I've had a similar experience um, with my, with my wife. And when we've gone to Latin restaurants, because my, my in-laws, you know, they're from Nicaragua, they're from Honduras. And, you know, I've tried these foods, everything they've asked me to try, I am game for. Mm -hmm. And anytime we've been at one of these restaurants and they'll see me and the, I've, I've had people like, oh, he likes that? I was like, yeah, he loves it. I'll eat it any chance I get. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I think one of the best ways to appreciate a culture and a people, the food they eat. And it sounds like, you know, you understand and you, you know, you've been encouraging of that. And I, I just, I think that's great. Well, it's that connection. Like you said, like, you know, for someone to say to you, oh, he likes that. Well, what does that really mean? It means that they might like it or maybe they don't like it, but they know what it means to them culturally. Like, you know, oh, it's something my mom made me eat and I didn't like it, but he likes it. Oh my gosh, amazing. Or I love this food, but most people I served it to didn't like it because they thought it was strange. And, you know, it, it can be difficult to come from, I think, a Western perspective at times because a lot of the food that we have isn't really strange. I know that people could no. say it is strange, but like, you know, pizza's kind of around the globe. I mean, Italians are like, how dare you? Wait, oh no, I can't do my Italian Luigi <laughs> accent. I'm going to be ripped on the internet, but it's okay. My brother-in-law is from Italy. I can do it. Um, but no, like, you know, like there's certain meals that we have that are kind of basic and, and they're delicious, but they're not like using different parts of the animal that are considered to be yeah. weird. Right. So like when you start entering in cultures that, that like Japan, 
my gosh, the nose to snout scene. You know how people talk about yeah. now in, in Western culture, North America, we're trying to use all the animal. We're not just trying to use bits of it, right? They have been doing that before it became trendy. You know, like when you eat Japanese food at an izakaya, you're not getting the stuff that you might see traditionally online. Like, of course you can, like you could go for okonomiyaki and it's delicious. I recommend it. You can do all that stuff. But when you yeah. order an izakaya, like the fish of the day, you don't know what kind of sashimi you're going to get because they're going to pick the freshest stuff of the day, as in as in seasonal. They're not going to go, well, everyone likes caviar, so I'm going to find a fish from a different country and punch it and take it out and serve it to you off season. Like everything is is seasonal, you know? And and so the stuff you're eating, like I never thought I would want to eat, ready for this one, a creamy sack of sperm, but it is autumn time. And it's coming Everyone knows up. It's sperm season. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the time period where they cut the fish. They use all the fish. And part of it is this like particular fish that has this like really creamy sper sperm sack, which I didn't know was sperm sack at first, but they they put it in like tempura. They fry it, like they fry it in pinko and tempura. And when you yeah. bite into it, it just tastes like a really creamy egg because it is egg. You know, don't think too hard about it, but it is technically egg. And so yeah. it's like eating a really creamy egg. And and I kind of had to go like, this is fine. I'm fine with this. And I don't get it in the summer. I don't get it in the springtime. But like, I mean, I'm glad I tried it because now I can say that I've tried this and that, yeah, I actually like it. And then then Japanese people go on to say, oh, it's like something that my grandmother used to make me when I was a kid when, you know, she used, she used to run a fish shop and she'd, she'd save them for us, you know, and it was really special. And so you get to hear all these little stories from other people about their their connection to their grandparents and parents. And so that's why I think when you go to a restaurant, and you try something that people are amazed by or interested in, it's them going, whoa, and they get jogged back, kind of like the way that I make dumplings uh, thinking of my grandmother and I go, whoa, my grandmother. I think they're experiencing the same thing when a foreigner is sharing a food that they were surprised about, you know? I love that. I, and, you know, I, as far as like the, the creamy sperm sack, I, I'm not even, <laughs> I'll be honest, it doesn't phase me just because, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for this idea of, of going, you know, nose to, you know, nose to tell, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's like you said, it, pe there are people that do it not because it's trendy, but because like, Hey, this is what we had to do to survive. You know, I, you know, my, my dad has shared with me a lot of, you know, this isn't even a nose to sound thing, but growing up, I mean, one of his favorite meals was pint pinto beans uh, with diced onion in it and cornbread, but not because, okay, this was a, you know, this was just this amazing thing. They loved it, but it's like, this is what we could afford. This was mm -hmm. what the option was, you know? And so I just, I love this idea of not being wasteful and of, using it and just being open to it yeah that's the biggest thing just being yeah. open to it yeah and being open to it and and understanding that it doesn't kill them it's not going to kill you you know and exactly. i mean you're welcome to have an opinion and be like i don't want to eat this kind of food or people have allergies you know and they can't eat certain things so i completely understand yeah. that but you know part of going off the beaten path like that whole concept of the tokyo tour series is that i want people to try things that they may not really realize that Japan does, you know, so we already know. And I, again, I really don't want to rip on people for Harajuku. So I apologize. Like I love cotton candy. I'm a cotton candy yeah. lover. So everyone knows that I love cotton candy, but you know, the, the one that I did last time with the, um, Chazawadori, the, the street, right. When yeah. you go down that little tiny street and you hit love, love road, which has all those little tiny shops there, these people have been there for so long. I sometimes go onto Google maps before I film and you drop a pin from the street location you know when like when the person can stand on the street that view yeah and you can actually look back in time i don't know if you know this so you can drop the oh. menu down from 2022 and you can go back as far as they've taken photos so y you can see 
like how long a shop has been there for. Often it might go to 2008 or 2006. Like it depends on when Google Maps started scanning. But you can see everything around the shop maybe changing or you see people or, or it's closed, it's open, it's closed, it's open. But you can spot the same people working there. You can see the same like, you know, storefront. It, it's a, It's this amazing kind of like go back in time experience because I always try to research the shop to see how long they've been there for. So that like um, shumai shop that I shot at with the, the meat store that happens to sell the Niku shumai for like 70 cents, right? Or now yeah. with the yen, it's probably like 50 cents. But um, when was the last time you bought anything for 50 cents, like food related, <laughs> right? But uh, I, I tried to find out information on them and I did so much research to, because I wanted to say they've been here for 20 years. They've been here for 40 years. I found a blog, a Japanese blog, and the person was talking about how they've been going to the shop. And so I was able to get back like maybe a decade, but I couldn't find information otherwise, right? But the whole idea is that this place is Japan. This is Japan, the real Japan, this meat store that's been there forever, not something that's, you know, new and trendy popping up, you know, in a particular neighborhood. If you like new and trendy things, then enjoy your trip. There's no problem. There's a million videos on the internet for you, tons of them, but I don't need to repeat that. I mean, what am I going to add to that? You know, I probably will end up being sarcastic and snotty. So I probably should just avoid it. <laughs> Instead, I want to encourage people to not be afraid of walking up to something and just pointing. Like, you know, yeah. I can I can ask for it. I can read the signs. I know what I'm ordering. But but it's sometimes really fun to just go like that one, this one, you know, and just to sit on a bench and go, oh, my God, this ginger eggplant's amazing. Like ginger oh, and eggplant. Sounds good. Oh, it's so good. Anything with I'm a, I'm a fan of ginger anyway. So you, you, if you mention ginger, I'm on board. Oh, um, I'm a huge ginger fan, and a lot of izakayas will do stuff with like ginger on top. Like um, they do um, this water eggplant, and they will ask you if you want it like fried or not fried, and you can get it like raw. I've never had raw eggplant until I came to Japan, and the oh. eggplant is so sweet; it's not bitter. They don't salt it to remove anything because the eggplant's different. And you just really? take this piece of eggplant and you just dip it in the salt they provided and put a little bit of maybe shoyu or ginger, depending. And it's just like this little spongy, magic, sweet ginger party. And you're just like, am I eating bar food right now? Like, is this bar amazing. food? It sounds way too healthy. Yeah, because like, I, you know, I think bar food in the United States, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's fried, it's cheesy. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love those things. I love I mean, fried who, and cheesy. Who, who, I'd be suspicious yeah. of people who didn't. Yeah, who, who among us, right? But God, that sounds good. And just... Yeah, and I like the idea too of like you know not feeling too bad about eating it, but just something that's just got flavor, just just good flavor. Mm-hmm. I it, that sounds amazing. And again, anything with ginger, I'm sold. I'm on board. I'm here mm-hmm. for it. I love it. Maybe we need to make a ginger crew shirt, but then people who are redheads might think we're insulting them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if that's it. Say, hey, look, we're finally in vogue. I knew the day was coming. Yeah, we're like it's the ginger crew, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're blonde," and I'll be like, "I'm talking about actual ginger. What are you talking? My gosh, Get really <laughs> little, offended." Yeah, little little uh, presumptive of you. Yeah, I'm Goodness. not sure the presumptive is a word. Yeah, presumptuous. Presum- presumptuous. This is our new thing: presumptuous yeah. and dis dis uh, and genuous. <laughs> yeah, <they're- laughs> a new group debuting in 2023: dis dis and genuous. Or just call them the ginger crew. <laughs> So, um, I, I, I'm going to kind of circle this back a little bit. Um, cause we, we kind of been all over the place here, uh, talking about food, about family, about heritage. Mm. And, and I love that. Um, I, so I do want to bring you back, um, back to your father. Cause I know mm-hmm. whenever we spoke that, you know, you wanted to, to talk about your father and you, you've spoken about him some and some of the meals he, he made you. Um, I know that you also caught, there's a specific, uh, Croatian dried sausage that, um, yeah, that I have this. 
I have this really great memory, um, you know, so my dad would always go to this Croatian market in Toronto, like there's like a Croatian market, you know, and I remember specifically going in there and like the smell of like that dried meat smell, like prosciutto yeah. and hanging all the sausage hanging, you know, on this like string and he would just like, you know, order a couple of these sausages, they would just cut the string in half and like wrap up the sausage for you and you had to kind of um, skin it a bit like you didn't have to you could eat it skin on it was dried and, and cured already right. But you can yeah. also kind of gently peel off the outside papery kind of skin layer. And then you could eat the sausage on the inside. And this was like a big staple in our house for a very long time until we discovered that apparently nitrates are bad for you. We were like, what? Yeah. And that like sausage and meat is too salty. And so there was a big shift in our family where we were like, only for treat days, you know, like when we would have dried meat. Um, but we went to Croatia as a family trip um, when I was older. Like we went when I was younger, but when I was, uh, I think it was like 18, um, the whole family went. Which started out super funny because my sister and I were like, let's go to Croatia and visit our cousins. And my sister's older than me. And she's like, yes, it can be like a sister trip. And, you know, we're you're graduating from high school and like, this is going to be amazing. And my parents just popped up and were like, excellent idea. And my sister's like, no. <laughs> and like, mom and dad are coming too. Like, <laughs> so I think her dreams were shattered of like, you know, having a cool sister trip. Um, my parents are the kind of people that look like they should be robbed on trips, you know, like passport out, <laughs> like fanny bag in everyone, like pull out the map so you know where you're going. I'm like, come on, guys, a little more subtle. But anyways, so we went to Croatia and um, being my parents, when we would go on vacation, which was pretty rare, like we didn't really go on vacation. But if we did, we would always stay at like a hotel that had like those little mini fridges, but never like a I never stayed in an actual hotel until I got older. We were kind of in yeah. motels, right? which again, I thought was normal. And we'd all share the rooms. There's four of us. Uh, you know, I'd either be on a cot or sharing with my sister and, you know, on like two of us trying to fit into this bed. And we would always buy groceries. My parents were like, hotel food's a ripoff. We can't afford this. Like we would go get groceries and jam them in this tiny fridge, like take down all the metal, you know, to put the food in. And my sister's dream was to like eat at a restaurant. She wanted to go in Croatia and just like eat at some like fancy restaurant, right? And my dad gets up in the morning and he's like, oh, beefy. Oh yeah, my nickname is Beefy. It is not because it's an insulting thing. It's because there was a commercial where the commercial would go, where's the beef? And it was like a beef commercial and I would always come yeah. running. And so my dad just started to joke and call me beefy. And I didn't realize that it sounded offensive. And so my friends were like, did your dad call you beefy? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't mean anything, but it's like a cute nickname. Anyway, so he's like beefy. We're going to go to the market. And I was like, yeah. And my sister's like, no, because she just wants to like go to a restaurant. And my dad and I went out in the morning early, early, and we walked down to this market and I cannot speak Croatian, right? Like I understand my, my vodka and my dad speaking Croatian just from having grown up in it, but I couldn't like speak it. Right. And everyone's talking in Croatian. And my dad was feeling like excited and like a little overwhelmed because when he left Croatia, he was a kid. So his Croatian level kind of stopped at like middle school. Right. Yeah. To me, he just speaks fluent Croatian, but he told me, yeah, I have the vocabulary of like a 10 year old, you know, like, so we go over to this marketplace and he's trying to like figure out how to order things without sounding, you know, feeling stupid. And he orders the sausage, like this big, you know, dried sausage. And the two of us are like, because we know we're not really supposed to be <laughs> eating sausage anymore. And um, we get all this dried meat. And then as we're walking back, we realize, oh my God, we don't even have a knife. Like, how are we supposed to cut these chunks of you know, so then we have to find a knife store or like a shop that sells a knife. And so we ended up going to like this grocery store and there was some weird aisle that had like a cheap, you know, kitchen knife that was like a paring knife for fruit and veg with this bright purple handle. And I yeah. remember this because we took this knife back home to Canada. Right. 
And to this day, there's this knife in a drawer and everyone in my family is like, what's up with this purple knife? And I'm like, it's important. Don't throw it. Because <laughs> to me, I remember my dad and I like yeah. sitting on the side, looking at the ocean and he's kind of peeling slices of the paper off and cutting me pieces of sausage. And I remember eating it and being like, whoa, this is even better than the stuff in Canada. And he's like, I know, like, this is what I miss. Like, this is what he missed from growing up home, you know, yeah. in Croatia and just taking it, sticking it in a piece, like taking off a hunk of bread feels so bad to like rip a loaf of bread, you know, like it should be sliced. And it's like, this knife is not going to work. And just eating it like wrapped up, like just like, you know, and yeah, it was such a, such a good memory and, and such a moment where I realized, you know, that my dad experienced so much like difficulty and loss. And I don't know what it feels like to return home to try something and then have to leave it. You know, now I do. Now that I live in Asia and I go back home to Canada, I know what it feels like to go, I miss this food. But I made the choice to come here, right? Yeah. While my dad and my grandmother didn't make the choice to leave Croatia. So it was a really interesting kind of like all these little things fell into peace for me when I got older and looked back on these moments, you know? Yeah. I. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to approach this a couple of ways. The, the first thing that I got to say is one, that, that's, that's, the story obviously is funny. You know, the, 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 the just as, okay, we have to, we, we can't tell anybody or like, we're not supposed to do this, but we're going to get, we're going to get some sausage anyway. Uh, I'm a big fan of sausage, so I I would do the same thing. If I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm buying a big hunk of sausage, I'm going to sit down and eat it. The other part I love though is that it it is it sounds like such a beautiful memory of something you were able to share with him. Of just there's something so idyllic about okay, you're sitting with your father and staring at the ocean and eating a food that really means something to him. Mm-hmm. But the the other thing this was in the back of my head the entire time is I I think about as a father just that that idea of, of how much that I can. I can't even begin to tell how much that must have meant to him just to get to sit there with his child, just eat a food that he loves, you know, and just, and just share that moment. I, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, but I, 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 it's, it just needs to be said. I mean, there's just something about a moment like that of just, I can promise you that meant a lot to him. And it sounds like it, it clearly meant a lot to you. And I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I hope this makes you feel like as a father as well, that you know that it's not about, you know, fancy stuff or, you know, special over the top experiences. It's just like a simple moment with your parent that you might not think is a big deal, but will go down in your kid's mind as important, you know? So yeah. it, it's human connection and, and you know, understanding that person and them sharing something is way more important than going to something fancy or expensive. You know, I had no want, like I I didn't think, oh, I wish I was at an expensive hotel or I want to have a better meal. Like none of those thoughts. It was just really happy, you know, comfort to be sharing this with my dad. And we did bring stuff back to share with other people. (laughs) My mom and my sister weren't like, where were you? And we were like, nowhere covered in grease and crumbs. Like, no, we we were not eating sausage and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we weren't ripping off sausage and bread with our bare hands on the beach. That's not what happened here. It was exactly what happened here. <laughs> just uh, we just went on a light jog, you know. That would that's when they know we'd be lying. <laughs> Why are you sweating? It's not the meat sweats, I can promise it's not you. That. The meat, so they smell the air. I smell salami. Ah! <laughs> no, that that's that's such a beautiful thank you for sharing that. That is such a beautiful oh, story. I'm happy to. And and to this day that meat smell, like when you go into a sausage store and it has that dried meat smell, I'm like, ah oh, dad. I'm sure that's not like you know, people think of like nicer smells, but for me it's like that smell of, you know, sausage and prosciutto, and I'm just like, 
Yeah. Look, love can smell like a lot of different things. I think there's a lot there's a lot worse things that it could smell like than sausage. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have like an onsen connection. It, like some of the onsen towns have like that really farty egg smell. So that probably wouldn't have been the best if you're like, ah, childhood memories, farts. Yeah, well, so with the, the small town that I live in outside of a big city, it's uh, there is some farmland here. And this is the time of year where they're like having to uh, put out. Uh, oh, the manure and fertilizer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm going to need to take her out of town to have special memories because <laughs> I, I need that, that to not be the memory. I don't know. I you can make a really good association. And then from then on out, everything will always be extra good. Like she can, she, you know, she can always have a, she can have a good time no matter what. It smells like chicken crap outside, and she's still having a great time. You can be like, oh, "What a shitty day it is!" Everyone's like, "It's such a nice shitty day today." Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's like oh, it's a shitty day. The more you smile, yeah, it's a shitty day. I just said yeah. it. Yeah, in a happy way, not in a negative way. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Well, okay. I, you know, we we've gone through a lot here. Um. I guess what I want to do at the end here is, you know. Before we go into any kind of promo stuff, one last question I have for you, is, and I ask this one sometimes, if you had a chance to share one more meal with your father, hmm. if you had that opportunity, what would you want to share with him? Oh man, this was a really tough one. You know, I I really had a hard time trying to figure out what to do with this particular meal. Um, but you know, I probably, it's going to sound really silly, but I'd probably go for like a hot dog. <laughs> I'll because, never judge somebody for going for a hot dog. Yeah, I like street meat in Toronto is, you know, like a hot dog stands are like a big thing because we, we don't really have any other stands. Like they're starting now to try to do it, but there's all these weird, stupid laws preventing it from like street food really yeah. existing. But hot dogs were always around. And my dad loves soccer. And um, we were going to soccer games since I was a little kid. We supported this this team called the Blizzards they're the Canadian, like the Toronto team and they were just like a nobody team. And then finally now they're the TFC and they have an official stadium built and everything. And, um, they compete against American leagues and everything. And, um, they, yeah, my dad was like the first ticket holders and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, we would go to these games and I remember the stadium food prices were so stupid you know, expensive. Yeah. And so my dad would always, uh, first of all, park off somewhere that was free and we'd have to walk 20 minutes. He'd be like, you know, like we'd circle around the block until we found a side street that allowed free parking. He's like, perfect. And we'd park there and we'd walk like 20 minutes to get to the stadium. And then on the way, if we were hungry, we'd always stop for hot dogs, you know? And I just remember getting these hot dogs with him on the side of the street and just like, you know, he'd always put on hot banana peppers and mustard and ketchup and he loved sauerkraut and like anything kind of fermenty like that you know and I never really was into that as much later on I did and I would do like olives and ketchup and mustard and you know we would chow down and I could hear the stadium you know the kind of the warm-ups of of people and the kids maybe starting like there's you know the kids might go on before the adults show up like it's like a soccer league or something and the sounds like that or like the like you know the and all that smell of the street and and it's just such a nice like um, memory. And I was going to him. I was going to these games with him since I was a little kid, like little, little kid. Like, you know, he would help set up the pylons for the blizzards before they were before they were TFC. And I would sit on the cart while he pulled the cart, you know, and set up the pylons or whatever. So it's just a really like good memory that I had. Um, I have yeah. many of those memories and simple and yeah, makes me really happy. And I think that would be probably what I would do. So we could then go watch a game. So you see, I'm extending the meal by getting the That's hot okay. dog. 
we go to the stadium and we never ate in the stadium. So like when I looked around, I saw people that they would have drinks or they would have hot dogs or popcorn or they would have alcohol. And like, we never did that. It was just pure game. Like you sit down and you're like, we're here. And that was it. <laughs> I can't, look, I came to watch a soccer game. I didn't come to eat a hot dog. I, I yeah, especially $12 hot dog. Yeah, the stadium prices are always insane. Yeah. And he, so he taught me a lot in those, in those activities, you know, a $2 hot dog, free parking, and we paid a ticket to get in is all you need to do. You don't need to pay for the $20 parking to be the closest and you don't need to pay for a $12 hot dog when you can just walk to get one. Are these things inconvenient to some people? Yes. You know, to me, no, you know, I mean, it depends on how able-bodied you are, of course, but like money wise, I didn't think that it was because he was saving money, which I know that it's probably because he was, but it didn't change my memory or my happiness. And it's made me a much more like thrifty person when I think about things now, you know? And so, I mean, would you, you have to ask yourself, would you have had a better memory if he spent $50 more than he did? And it's like, I don't think you would. Just no, I don't think time. I would at all. Waiting in those long concession lines and having the same hot dog as everyone else with like a crappy overcooked, undercooked something. Instead, I had like a fresh grilled and we would always talk to the person, you know, like, oh, busy day. And they're like, hey, you know, the regular. So you you have human connection. You know, you you have this like location, a favorite hot dog stand. You know, you support a person who might need the money instead of going to the stadium and someone's part time job. They could care less about you, you know, uh, and you're just another person and you're just racking in money. You know, you're already paying money to support the team with the ticket. So and of course, we might get we might have gear that we have like a scarf or something yeah. but it wasn't about buying stuff that day i never associated all the activities with my dad and, and my mom as well i never associated with money like you don't need to have fun you don't need to have that like if i don't have this it's not going to be fun no it, it's already enough that we spent money on the ticket you know and the moment is being there and watching the game and you know yeah that's beautiful thanks mom I and dad for all these good life lessons <laughs> As I hear all this, that's that's that is what I get out of this. I mean, and this is this is complete sincerity. I know we've joked around a lot. To, to, I'm going to say tonight, but today, this morning, this this in this time, I know we've joked around a lot. To, to tonight, to tonight, to, tonight or tonight, tonight. There's something there. We're going to get there at some. I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. and be like, to dartle. Like, <laughs> yeah, send it, it'll be 5 p.m. here. So whenever you do wake up at 4 a.m., just send it over to me. Yeah, yeah. Fine. But I mean, we've joked around a lot, but honestly, I mean, that is such a great life lesson though. I mean, it's, I can, I can tell it, it's, that went a long way with you and it's something that still sticks with you is just the, appreciate the moments, not the, not, not the filler, appreciate the moments, appreciate mm -hmm. the people. Um, and I'm putting words in your mouth and that's, that's, that's terrible, um, host no, etiquette, I'm sure. No, but. that's how I feel. That's no, how I feel. And, and I think the best part about it is that you can always go back and look back and find more. That's the best yeah. part. You know, somehow when people are alive, you do appreciate things about them. You really do. But when they pass away, it gives you that opportunity to go, hey, you can think a little bit harder about this now. And you go, all right, like, you know, maybe you don't want to because it's a bit, you know, upsetting or something. Sorry. Yeah. No, getting fine. a little choked up, but not out of, not out of like pure sadness. I'm getting choked up from, you know, thinking back and appreciating all these memories with him which I do all the time, you know, and all my friends in Japan and my other friends that met my dad, you know, he was such a stellar man and he was a high school teacher. So he touched so many people's hearts and he was a funny high school teacher. You know, the kind that like actually yeah. make you like class. He taught history. <laughs> so, you know, the, these kind of things, like he impacted so many people, including his own family. And so after passing away, I can then look back on something like a hot dog and parking for free that might not, not have had any impact before. It was just a thing, 
you know, but when yeah. you look back on it, you go, wow, I really appreciate that even more. And so they're not necessarily gone after death. If you honor their memory by thinking about things they might have done or taught you or, or things that made you laugh or silly things, then you really do honor that person and they continue to live on. They live on, you tell stories and people who don't even know them, know them. So that's what I think is the most important thing to do. And that's what I love about your podcast as well. It's a way for people to pass on stories about people that you may not have been able to meet, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Just, mm. just thank you just for coming on and just, and just sharing with me just about everything. Honestly, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so much and it's, it, it really means a lot to me that you would come on and just, and be so open and, and vulnerable and, all I can say is thank you. I, well, I really thanks for making that. the podcast. That's that's all you. <laughs> well, so before we, before we wrap up, I do always like to give some time uh, to talk about the stuff that you're working on because you you do, and we we spoke about this a little bit. You do so many just great, cool things, and so I'd love for you to just to talk about it just a little bit. Oh, uh, sure. Um, so for those of you that, that have not met me before, um, which I guess is like pretty much like tons of people, but yeah, so my YouTube channel is called King Kogi. So King as in like a king and Kogi, K-O-G-I. Uh, Kogi is my stuffed toy pig. It's a real pig. His name is Kogi. I got him in Korea in like 2008 and he was the only pig in the whole shop, which leads me to believe he was really special. This isn't like some name brand pig, you know? I think he he was like kind of like when you adopt a dog and they choose you. I think he like chose me because I wasn't <laughs> into pigs. I wasn't like, I love pigs. I was just like, look at that pig. He's special, you know? And so that's Kogi. And don't let him know that Kogi is the Korean word for meat. So it's a bit of a an inside joke. But so his name is Meat, technically. But anyhow, Kogi, King Kogi. So that's the name of the channel. Um, and I named it after him because uh, he's really had my back. You know, I, I've done a lot of, I do a lot of drawing and design work and, you know, editing videos for my YouTube channel. And I did that literally on his back. Like he would be on my, my lap as a cushion, right? Yeah. And I would draw on him or I would edit on him on a plane or a train or anywhere. So really the whole channel was built on his back, as you can see. Um, but so that's <laughs> King Literally Kogi. and figuratively. Yes, yes, both. So it's his name and it's built off of him. Um, but so on the channel, you know, I, I live in Tokyo and I want to introduce people to Japan in a way that is a little bit unusual. You know, I think there's enough channels out there that you can find a lot of information about major parts of the city or the country. But I want to take people on like a different side, something that exists to me that I do all the time. Like every week I go out and find a new pin, explore a new street and just see what happens and take notes. And my Google map is insane. It's just like all pins. You can't see anything anymore. <laughs> and so I wanted to share that with everybody, you know, in, in whatever way I could with being respectful of the people that I have to film around, you know? And so that's my uh, Tokyo tours series. And, uh, right now I'm almost going on number six. Next one is number six. And, and soon I'm going to start going to, um, Kyoto, Osaka. And I've been planning, like, I mean, when was the last time you saw a Kyoto bar crawl? You know what I mean? Like a, yeah. a Kyoto cafe scene. Like it's always like, welcome to these temples and shrines. It's like, you know where they are already. You don't need my help. But like, what about the tacos? Because Kyoto's got a taco shop. Like, so yeah, it's a really cool one. It's like by this river area and has like craft beers and like, you know, so th there's the kind of things that I want to share with people about these cities that I hope um, will add to their trip itinerary. They can look at other people's YouTube channels and other, you know, posts about travel. And then they can also add on a little bit of off the beaten path. And um, outside of the series, I do cooking videos as well. So I try to share some of the stuff that I make um, at home. I'm trying to teach more Japanese dishes. I can teach them once I learn them. So as I learn them, I teach them, right? <laughs> 
And so uh, just recently I did a bone broth video because that is the base for now many things like making Vietnamese pho or like ramen and stuff. But, you know, if I can't lay that video down first, then I can't say to you, make bone broth. You'll be like, how do I do that? So now I can be like, refer to the video, like, you know. Um, and outside that, I I do music, but music is not like a main focus. I just love to play the piano and I just make nonsensical tunes. Um, I'm not trained in any way. I did not take piano lessons and I just make, I don't even know how to describe the music. It's not chill hop. It's not, I don't know what it is, but I just make crazy music. So that's not the main focus, but it is there to let people know that, you know, be encouraged to just do you, even if you're not good or you're not great, it doesn't matter. Just get it out there. And maybe, you know, you'll help somebody out with a, a pretty little tune. And, um, in the info box, I always leave a story. So the story has to do with the song. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's about it. So if you're interested in, um, the good community that I have, lovely community of people, King Kogi can find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, smash that subscribe button. <laughs> is smash that what I'm supposed like to say? Subscribe. Smash that like subscribe button, notification bell on. I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with yes. And Martin, I'll just say too, I, again, I the Tokyo Toys videos, I love them. It, again, talking to my wife to, earlier today, we we're like, we've got to go to Japan. We've got to go to Japan. We've got to go eat all these things. I saw the pork dumplings. I like. I need these in my life. I don't care yeah. if I burn my mouth. I need them. Yeah. And your little one, you need to bring her to enjoy Sanrio land. It is not just for kids, by the way, it's for adults as well. And like the Tokyo Disney Sea and Disney World are unbelievable here. They're just special. Everyone is so chipper and happy. And it's like full Japan mode meets Disney. It's like nothing you've ever experienced. And they have alcohol. If you're a drinker, they serve they serve beer at Disney Sea. See, I finished my last Oktoberfest before uh, coming to record. So yeah, I, I, like, yeah, yeah. I like a good beer from time to time. Yeah, it's nice to be able to be like, you guys enjoy that ride. I'll be enjoying this beer. Like it's such a different environment, uh, you know? Yeah, I'd get on the roller coaster with you, but uh, I just got this. <sighs> just got it. Got to <laughs> chug it. Well, all right. <laughs> oh my God. Martina, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I, I really sincerely appreciate it. Um, I would encourage everyone, go check out our channel. I'm going to post every all of your links in my show notes. Um, I highly recommend the the Tokyo tour series because again, it's not a traditional travel or food thing. It's something different, it's something special, and that's what I love about it. So, well, thanks, I'll Andrew. Out. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. But Martina, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, my pleasure. All right, thank you. Thank you again to Martina for being a guest today. I'm going to link Martina's YouTube channel in the show notes, but I highly recommend you start with her Tokyo Tour series. I really love her approach to travel and food video, and I think you will too. Her Instagram handle is king.kogi, kogi spelled K-O-G-I, and is definitely worth a follow. You can also follow Our Last Mill on Twitter and Instagram at ourlastmillpod, or visit us at ourlastmill.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, you can reach out by clicking the share your story button. As always, I just want to encourage you to find time to enjoy a meal with someone that you care about. Until next time.